I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. Uh, so again, welcome again to today's Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Um, happy you joined us today. My name is Liz Stahl. I'm an extension educator in crops. I work out of the Worthington Regional Extension Office, and we welcome Dr. Devlin Sarangi. He's our extension weed management specialist with U of M Extension, and also uh, Dr. Joe Eichley. He's our extension weed management specialist with North Dakota State University. So, um, and we also thank our sponsors, U of M Extension, and generous support from the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council and the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council. So uh, with that, just a little crop update that actually came out yesterday due to the Memorial Weekend uh, holiday. Corn's pretty much mostly planted here in Minnesota, 93% planted. Um, soybeans, 86% planted. I know that varies across the state. We've had some excessive moisture in areas. We've also had some dry conditions in some areas. We've got some replanting. So kind of a mix of all different things. but. Uh, we wanted to focus today looking at you know cover crop research and then also how that ties in with weed management and any issues there. Uh, so first of all, I just kind of wanted to start with and see, um, you know, if you, you know, uh, Devlin and Joe, if you guys could just describe some of the cover crop research that you've been doing. I know you've been uh, working with that from the angle also of helping us with weed control, especially since we do have so many issues with herbicide resistant weeds. Um, so, Joel, why don't we start with you first, if you just want to take a few minutes just to describe some of the cover crop research that you've been working with and give us a little background on that. Yeah, so for the most part, we've really been looking at using rye, uh, of course, planted in the fall uh, and then terminated at different times in the spring, uh, primarily for control of water hemp has been the goal of our research. Uh, so that's just continuing to be a, a worse weed every year, it seems, and we get new resistance that's uh, pops up as well. And so knowing that the herbicide options are, are pretty limited, you know, seeing what else we can do to help out. And rye is one of those kind of easier to adopt management practices on the large scale. And so the last two years, what we had done is, is looked at different termination timings. Uh, so either we'll just say uh, no cover crop or the absence of rye completely or terminated 14 days before planting um, or uh, planting green and in that case, we planted and then terminated rye either that same day or the next day, but after planting uh, was the important thing there. Then we couple that with uh, the presence or absence of a pre-emergence herbicide. Uh, we just happened to choose Fierce, a, a common premix of a group 14 and a group 15. And then what we did was within each individual uh, uh, management factor, so rye management, uh, and then absence or presence of a pre, we waited until water hemp was four inches tall in those plots and then triggered a post-emergence application and then saw how the overall control worked at the end of the year. And kind of the short answer for, for, uh, for water hemp control is when we had rye and a pre-emergence herbicide in the mix, uh, those two things worked pretty well together. But when we did not have the rye or we did not have a pre, 
uh, when we started to lose control, uh, certainly by the end of the year. And so you can look at those two things as complementing each other, uh, but certainly um, some folks kind of look towards hope of, hey, can Rye replace a pre-emergence herbicide? And we have not seen that in our research. Interesting. Oh, that's good. But it, but you were seeing a contribution, at least with the water hemp, even though water hemp is one of those later emerging weeds too? Yes. Yeah. And so um, I could probably also have to keep in mind that everything happens pretty quick here. <laughs> and so once we kind of get green up of, of rye, it's usually here in Fargo about the last week of April, first week of May. And then we have uh, water hemp emerging about two to three weeks after that. So a much shorter window up here, uh, which maybe helps out with water hemp management compared to, I don't know, maybe where Devlin's at down, down, or where all you guys are at a little bit further south where that rye greens up and starts accumulating biomass a little bit earlier and maybe have a month head start compared to just a couple weeks. Yeah, no, yeah, really. And so, yeah, Dumlin, that kind of ties in. And Joe, we'll get back to some more of your work too, of course. But uh, just, yeah, Dumlin, if you want to just kind of describe some of the work that you've been uh, doing across the state as well too. Yeah, so um, what Joe is doing up in North Dakota, that kind of reflects our situation in the northern part of Minnesota or North Dakota or Red River Valley. Whereas uh, most of our cover crop research is um, down south uh, and we kind of do in the east and western side of the state, but in the southern part of Minnesota. And uh, so as Joe mentioned, actually, we are also um, uh, looking at the cereal rye, like fall seeded cereal rye uh, as a potential cover crop candidates for Minnesota. And the whole uh, game is the biomass because uh, if you have enough biomass, you'll get enough benefits from, uh, from the standpoint of weed control, from the standpoint of soil erosion control and everything. So uh, it's all about the biomass, how much biomass you can get out of this uh, cover crop in the spring. And if you see the reports uh, by USDA uh, back in 2017, when they um, did the last cover crop survey, Minnesota was one of the bottom states regarding the adoption of cover crops. So we had only 4% uh, uh, corn and soybean acreage under cover crop. Whereas in the nationwide, um, the increase between 2012 to 2017 was 50% increase. And state like um, Maryland, Pennsylvania, they had like 20 to 30 five percent area under cover crop and then if I compare our Minnesota situation with uh, like other state as I mentioned like Maryland or Pennsylvania the reason is like we have a unique uh, environmental conditions so as Joe's so we have really small planting window uh, uh, after the between the harvest and the first first frost in the fall and also we have unpredictable weather. For example, last fall was so dry in Minnesota and North Dakota. I know that there was barely some emergence of uh, cereal rye that was planted last fall. 
But uh, again, in the spring, well, after snow melts, we have just a couple of the weeks before we plant our corn and soybean. So this is the main challenges for uh, adoption of cover crop in Minnesota. So we are looking at different management practices, how we can uh, adapt this cereal rye cover crop based in Minnesota. So our research components definitely focusing on weed management, but our uh, treatments or uh, the comparisons we are making are uh, like uh, different cropping systems like corn, corn system versus corn soybean system, including silage corn, if that helps. And also uh, we have different seeding rate for cereal rice. So we wanted to see, okay, if we increase the seeding rate, maybe uh, 1.5 times or two times the recommended seeding rate, whether we can gain the biomass quickly. Uh, but we found that was not the case. Like uh, if you have 60 pound per acre cereal rice seeding rate, I think that's optimum, which is also recommended by the SARE. And then uh, we are also looking at different termination timing in the spring. So if you delay your uh, cover crop termination by a week, maybe by two weeks, maybe by four weeks, uh, how much biomass you can accumulate, whether that helps with the uh, weed control. And so that we have different termination timing, different planting dates, and we are kind of um, uh, like juggling with a lot of factors and we are trying to find out what are the best recipe for cover crops in Minnesota. And we started this research in 2021 and 2022 was our first year when we get, get the data. And what we found is 2022 was a good year for cover crop because 2021 fall was not as much dry as 2022 fall. So this year will be the second year for our research. And we'll look into that, like how much biomass we can get this year out of these studies. So, so we have basically, we'll have two years of data to summarize by the end of this season. Oh, very interesting. And that's one thing you bring up the <clears throat> biomass question too. Just curious to me, because I've seen the research where they're talking about, you need to have like 4,000 to 8,000 pounds of biomass you know per acre to actually have an impact on on weed management you know what what have you found and what what kind of levels are you reaching uh Devlin and then I'm going to send it over to you Joe too uh, for the further northern parts of the state here in area yeah if I uh if I look into last year's data I mean uh when you planted early so last year also our spring was wet so our early planting was not really early it was like uh I would say like it was like 10th of May uh, when we planted our soybean and corn. And that time we got about thousand um, pound per acre type thing. It was not that much, like, as you said, like 4,000, no, we didn't get it. But still we saw with that thousand pound per acre, like we got um, like some weed control benefits earlier in the season. And then when we planted late, which was uh, end of May, we got about 4,000 uh, pound or, uh, per acre, and which was really desirable because those plots um, was pretty clean. But you know, sometimes if you wait until end of May, 
you may get yield penalty from your uh, cash crop. So that is the whole thing we are studying, like, okay, what is the biomass we are getting and how much benefit we are getting from that much biomass. So that's why we have different planting dates, different termination timing. And um, as I said, like um, whatever the biomass you get, that might be helpful. But if you get really little biomass, like this year happened, like I told you last fall, there was not much emergence. And this year in the spring with the early planting, we didn't get much biomass. So we'll see how much weed control we can get out of that plots. Joe? Yeah, and how about how about you, Joe? Because again, biomass, that seems to be a real driving factor, what we're getting from a weed control contribution and other potential soil health benefits too. But what kind of amounts are you seeing and, and uh, you know, the impacts of, of practices on how much biomass is produced? Yeah, so we're, I was just looking this up here. It looks like about three to 4,000 pounds per acre is what we've been getting here in the, in the Fargo area for our research over the past couple of years. And, and that kind of leads into, like I said, it's, it's not a, a standalone great practice or, or a replacement of a pre-emergence herbicide, but that's about half of what you were quoting there that some other states really feel comfortable with getting uh, as far as biomass production for complete weed suppression. So makes sense. It's, it's about a 50% uh, control measured in that case, if we're producing about half the biomass of some of those other studies. Now this year is a little bit different. Um, and certainly in North Dakota and Northwestern Minnesota, a lot of the talk this year has been that we planted rye and winter wheat for that matter into dry dirt and just never got emergence last fall. And then finally, when the snow melted, we got emergence this spring. And so it's, it had been a question of, did we get the vernalization requirements? Will it actually uh, bolt and try to produce seed? And here, here, at least in Fargo, it seems like we did achieve that, but we're not gonna get much for biomass. And there's a, certainly a carpet of water hemp in, in the research trial that I'm staring at. And so um, this year will definitely be one of those years where we're not going to get a lot of biomass production. The, the overwintering benefits that other folks like for anchoring soil and preventing blowing, that didn't happen. But uh, we're, we're still going to see what kind of benefit we'll get uh, because we're shifting into a new phase of, of our cover crop research where we are trying to delay termination as late as possible after soybean planting, uh, primarily for weed control, but also for potential uh, yield loss uh, from rye due to soil usage. And that's always one thing that re we will run into is uh, the fact that moisture is very important and we'll get these dry stretches and we're in one right now, well, a lot of people are too, uh, where we don't want that rye to use up too much water. And so we're, we're gonna go all the way to V3 soybean this year uh, waiting uh, to delay uh, termination until V3 soybean and then see when kind of the sweet spot is for getting weed control um, without having that rye use up too much moisture uh, to take away from soybean yield at the end of the year. And so this year might be a little confounded by the low biomass, the fact that rye didn't come up until about a month ago, uh, but it will be repeated in future years and we'll hopefully get back to that 4,000 pounds or so biomass and see uh, what the results are in a uh, more typical setting than a, a dry fall without emergence? Yeah, a lot of factors, as you well know, play a role in how much biomass you get out there, what the take is. And interesting, so it sounds like you're kind of looking at looking at the V stage of soybeans for when you terminate the cover crop. Um, 
what what aspects have you looked at that one so far too and as far as when to terminate the cover crop because again there's a lot of different triggers that you could use um, as, as to when to do that and of course we always got to look at that potential yield impact on our cash crop too yeah so uh for the termination definitely um uh our as i mentioned our main target is the biomass then uh, we also looked at different termination option like what are what are the termination option you can have for terminating cover crop because um, we know that chemical uh, termination options are the best because it works fast it's um, economic but um, we saw that different chemical group, they work differently. For example, um, uh, it is well known that Roundup, spraying Roundup uh, is the best option for terminating cereal rye cover crop. And Roundup, uh, it really works fast in that case, like uh, within 10 days, um, uh, we have a field this year, within 10 days, everything is yellow and brown and you can, you, you are ready to plant even. And uh, some options like clethodame, they're slow. I mean, we have like select max type product. They're really slow and it takes um, three weeks to get, get it yellow and still it, uh, it's not totally yellow. So, uh, so it's really slow. And we have options like uh, when you have like uh, uh, glyphosinate type, like Liberty type product, it is not uh, 100% kill. So we have to pick those herbicide options uh, carefully. And also we checked some uh, termination option for the organic grower because we thought like um, some of our organic growers, they're interested to use the cereal rye cover crop. And if they have the roller crimper, that is good idea because they can roller crimp the cereal rye and can start planting something. But still we know from the literature that a roller crimper is not also 100% kill for the cover crop. And it's also stage specific. So we tested uh, some of the um, like uh, non-herbicide options for the, the termination of cover crop and different uh, stage of the cereal rye. And we found that if you were uh, like uh, cutting the cover crop for any kind of like um, like feed purpose or you are doing grazing or something, uh, doing it early in the tillering stage is not useful because you'll get about 10 to 20% control and those cover crop will come back. However, if you wait until the heading stage, which is probably not desirable for feed because that time it's like more hardy stem, but you'll get about 50% kill of those cover crop. And with the tillage, we saw similar thing, but if you do like light tillage with rototiller just to mix up those biomass with the soil, I mean, though in cover crop situation, our goal is not to disturb the soil because we promote not, not disturbing the soil, but sometimes for the organic grower, you have to uh, terminate the cover crop. So if you do light tillage with rototiller just to mix up those cover crop biomass in the top layer of the soil, uh, you have to wait until a later stage because that's the time when you'll get about 100% kill of those cover crop. However, if you do it early in the tillering stage, you can get up to uh, 75, 80% kill, but there will be some cover crop or cereal rye that will get established after uh, the uh, rototill. 
a lot of trade-offs in, in, in this whole thing, isn't there? Um, yeah, and Joe, I want to get back to something that you mentioned earlier, too, was your work with pre-herbicides. And I understand you've been doing uh, some work where they're looking at, because uh, again, and I know Dublin, you've done some work, too, with pre-emergence herbicides with that termination uh, application of the cover crop. And, you know, there's always a concern about interception of the cover crop, you know, that pre-herbicide, you're going to get as much activity and so forth. What have you found, Joe, if you want to just kind of elaborate a little bit, if you can, you know, on what, what you found so far of, you know, the effectiveness of pre-herbicides when you do have a cover crop out there, they having an impact on, on efficacy and, and uh, how much is actually, actually reaching the soil and so forth? Yeah, and so uh, the, the trial that I've been doing that you're referring to is part of a, a national effort. Um, so I think 13 or 14 so or so states involved. And four of those states took an additional step. I was not part of that, but I do know the, the results of the data. But um, if we look at just the, the weed control aspect from using that pre-emergence herbicide in rye, uh, I like to just phrase it as rye plus a pre-herbicide is better than either um, either one of those alone. And so if we don't have that rye cover crop and just rely on a pre-emergence herbicide, uh, you know, that will start breaking after three or four weeks, which is kind of what we expect when we go out there with a post-emergence herbicide. And we might buy an extra 10, maybe 14 days before needing to apply a post-herbicide if we have the combination of rye plus a pre compared to just the pre alone or just that rye alone. So I've, I've kind of taken a look at it of how many days are you buying yourself until water hemp gets to four inches tall and looks like, yeah, about 10 to 14 days on average when you have that rye plus the pre combination uh, compared to either alone. Now, the, the next step that several people, those four or so states have taken is taking soil samples uh, from these plots and trying to, to determine where the pre-emergence herbicide actually is, because we're always concerned about interception of that pre-emergence herbicide with the, with the cover crop. And the short answer is, yes, the cover crop is intercepting some of that pre-emergence herbicide. And I, I forget the exact uh, numbers, let's just say somewhere in the range of 70 to 80% of the herbicide makes it to the soil surface. So maybe that 20 to 30 was intercepted by rye compared to a, a standard check with no rye and the same rate of a pre-emergence applied. So based on the soil core analysis, uh, we're, we're tying up yeah, 10, 20 to 30%. Um, and don't quote me exactly on those numbers because I don't have the data in front of me. But we are tying up some of that um, residual in the rye. But the end result from a weed control standpoint is they are also seeing similar observations like I have that you are getting better control with the two practices combined. So I know it's, you know, never encouraging to have uh, some residual tied up in, in that case, but the, the, the main point there is that the uh, overall weed control is better in that system, even though we are getting some tie up of that residual. Bottom line is it's, it's helping out, right? And, and that's one question too, that's come up and we've, we got some of these questions at uh, registration too for this program. And, you know, sometimes people look at cover crops and for weed control, um, you know, what do you think? It's like, uh, it's pretty challenging in a conventional system to get hundred percent of your weed control from a cover crop, you know? So what, what kind of, uh, you know, we've got other tools that we can use. 
how do you address that? You know, Devil, and I'll shoot that over to you first. Um, just thinking about, you know, people wondering whether or not the, you know, the value that a cover crop can provide from a weed control standpoint uh, in, in a conventional system. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with the herbicide resistance issues that we are having, I mean, um, in all of the Midwestern state, we are struggling with water hemp and uh, Joe can talk about kochia. So we have some herbicide resistant weed issues uh, in our states. And um, we are talking about diversifying our system. I mean, we cannot only rely on single herbicide to mitigate these issues because um, you will see some uh, Minnesota Crop News article that is coming out tomorrow that will talk about uh, some of the water hemp survey we did recently. And it is showing that, uh, that multiple herbicide resistant water hemp is prevalent in Minnesota. I mean, uh, it could be resistant to two sites of action, three sites of action, four, five, up to six sites of action. So, I mean, those populations are still slow in spreading that six sites of action resistant thing. But, you know, like uh, in a couple of the years, we'll see that resistant treadmill is still ongoing and most of our uh, water hemp's are showing resistance to multiple herbicides. So um, that's why we need to diversify our systems in terms of management practices, crop rotation, herbicide options. So I agree with Joe, we saw the same thing when you uh, combine this cover crop with a pre-herbicide, probably you'll get the best um, uh, benefits out of this cover crop. I mean, yes, the cover crop will add some uh, cost to your program, but you know, in long run, you'll get benefits out of it and uh, you'll get um, your soil seed bank reduced in a uh, couple of years if you diversify your system that will help you in long run. Yeah, any, any thoughts you wanna to add to that, Joe, too? Cause I know again, you've had some significant issues with kochia and just, you know, looking at multiple resistance in, in that weed species too. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's uh, another one just, you know, briefly with um, on kochia that we, we also can get a benefit using rye uh, for kochia control uh, because of that early season biomass. And so that's, that's not work that I'm doing, but out in my not, Dr. Brian Jenks is playing around with rye and then, combining rye with like a fall application of, of flumioxazin or Valor. So combining kind of two standard practices for kosher control uh, and seeing how that works um, and in a more central part of this North central part of the state, but whether it's, it's kosher or water hemp. Yeah. We're, we're just getting more and more herbicide resistance and you know, anyone who, who teaches herbicide physiology may disagree with this statement, but the simplest way I think about it is rye is basically another site of action that we can use if you want to simplify it down to to that level is that we need other solutions in the long term for control of those weeds like water hemp and kochia the solution's not going to come from a jug um you know any any new site of action is half a decade off at least and i feel like we've been saying that for the last half decade so <laughs> but we'll, we'll see in how long until we actually do get a new site of action four major row crops effective against uh, weeds like water hemp or kochia. And you know, if we look at just our, our solutions we've been trying to achieve or accomplish by getting craftier with uh, herbicide combinations, 
I kind of look towards the south and um, uh, Dr. Aaron Hager at University of Illinois, I think, has put it best when he starts talking about uh, the metabolic resistance that they have in water hemp. And, and we certainly have some of that up here in, in some of our Palmer amaranth populations. But when you look at metabolic resistance to herbicides and the fact that it's almost unpredictable which herbicides they will be resistant to, uh, they're in, in Illinois, they're starting to reevaluate the standard practice of tank mixing herbicides as a good resistance management option. Uh, there, there's some line of thought now that with these metabolic resistant pigweeds, that tank mixing may actually increase the frequency uh, of, of how um, often new resistance or uh, mechanisms occur or uh, resistance to new herbicide active ingredients occurs. And so when we look at it simply from trying to control using herbicides, that I, I'm not going to put a date on it, but th those days are, are coming to an end at some point in the future. And we need to integrate other tactics. And that's why we're looking at easy, easier to adopt on the wide scale, things like rye. Um, you know, the harvest weed seed destructors are now coming into the scene. Um, so some of these other tactics beyond just a herbicide to really get a handle on some of these really problematic weeds. Yeah, most definitely. Diversification is key. And I see we're just about out of time here, but any parting thoughts that you wanted to uh, say here, Devlin, as we wrap things up? Um, looking at early season weed control here with cover crops or anything? Yeah, this year um, I am a bit skeptical how much benefit we can get out of cover crop because of the last dry fall. And uh, this spring was also a little late um, uh, start for the, like we got a lot of snow last winter. So it was kind of late start up for the rye in the spring. But, you know, like, um, as we mentioned, like it's always good to start clean and stay clean. So uh, even if you're uh, adopting cereal uh, rye as one of the diversification key uh, in your systems, it is still a good idea to have a pre on. And in case, if you missed your pre this year, because I talked to a lot of farmers this year and they're so busy and they're in a hurry to plant their crops. So they missed their some of them missed their pre's and I talked to them, but I, I re highly recommend them to come back with a post-emergence as soon as possible or as soon as you see the weeds and weeds are like less than uh, three inches tall. And, you know, like um, you know, tank mixing those post-emergence with certain some type of residual herbicides will definitely help with the water hemp control. But yeah, that, that will be my last thought for this spring <laughs> because of um, we have a little bit different year this year compared to last year. Yeah, thanks, Devlin. And how about you, Joe? Any parting thoughts here as we wrap things up? Yes, I'm just going to take a, not a 180, maybe a 90 degree turn here and, and focus just on how warm it has been this spring with regards to pre-emergence herbicides, because we've been warm, dry in the last week up here, uh, we've been very windy. And so just kind of a reminder for folks that many pre-emergence herbicides cannot be used once crops are starting to emerge. So we focus on soybeans, things like flumioxazin or Valor. Uh, Sulfentrazone or the Spartan Authority products, Metribuzin, 
once the soybeans are, are emerging, we can't use those products due to a high risk of injury. And so we, we've had a situation up here where we planted and just had 30 mile per hour winds and not been able to get a pre on before the beans come up. So I know we still have maybe 30, 40% of our soybean acres to go in. I'm, I'm assuming it's similar on the other side of the river up this far north. And so just a reminder of if you're going to get that pre on and we're challenged by weather, uh, just to make sure that the crop is not emerging because it's happening pretty quick here, uh, certainly within five days of planting for soybeans, which is a lot quicker than we're used to. Yeah, excellent points. And I should note that in the in the chat, there is a link to a Google Doc that has a lot of links. And uh, and if you have any links to add to that, Joe, too, we'll, we'll, we'll certainly throw those in there. But again, to the Cover Crop website, more information on planting green as well, too, because we just pretty much talked about weed management. We didn't talk about all the other potential trade-offs and challenges you might have from like an insect uh, end of things, too, and the, and the need to be scouting for things like true, for true, like true army, army worm and things like that, too. But uh, anyway, I encourage people to check that out. But again, I better wrap things up here. Uh, so again, I'd like to thank everybody for attending today and especially our speakers, uh, Dr. Shangin, Dr. Uh, Eichley. And uh, of course, our sponsors as well to the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council and the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council. As you sign off today, again, there's going to be a really quick survey. Hope you'll take that. Also ask for input, what we should you know, talk about in future sessions, things that are concerning you. Uh, and next week, we will have uh, Dr. Sharma and Dr. Fernandez on uh, moisture issues, looking at too dry and too wet and supplemental nitrogen issues. So Again, thanks everyone and have a great rest of the day and hope to see you next week.